This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. All right, it is Friday. And as you know, we every Friday we do a financial news wrap up. And we're here with Mr. One Rental at a Time, Mr. Michael Zuber. How are you, Michael? I'm doing good, Ty. You have no idea how much I look forward to these every week. It's 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 fun for me to, to look at the market daily, but to do this weekly wrap up is just awesome. So thank you very much. I love it too, man. And I'll tell you, it's cool for me to have the opportunity because I always have questions or because I'm in a lot of other masterminds and things, there's things that bubble up yeah, and their topics conversation. And I have an idea, an opinion about it, but it's always good to just bounce the, you know, bounce it off of you and, and, and really get your sense of just because you're so in tune and studying the news and the markets every day. So uh, I appreciate that. Let's get right into it. So, um, a very, very hot topic this week is 2021 is not 2006. Let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's been, there's, been, uh, there's a, a, a YouTube channel, actually several of them, that have come out in the last 10 days and basically said something like this. 2021 is going to be the biggest crash ever. It's bigger than 2006. It's right around the corner. It's going to happen this year. And, you know, that is so, I lived through it, right? So a lot of people didn't live through it, didn't invest through it. So they're, you know, they're reacting to the noise, but I invested in it and I'm still investing. And I know 2021 isn't 2006 for lots of reasons, but I didn't have the facts. So I spent several hours of my time, which I don't normally do. And I just went to the good old Google search bar and looked up all these different statistics and variables. And I actually, I've talked about them several times. There's like 16 or 17 different variables. And there's only one variable where 2021 is, a, is worse than 2006, if you want to say worse. And that is price or value or whatever you want to call it. And from memory, the average price is like 287. And, the, and today, and it was like 258 in 2006. So if you're looking at a chart and you're saying, hey, look, 2021, higher than 2006, we have to be in a bubble. It has to crash. Well, I got news for you. You're an idiot. Yeah, you're an idiot. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you because every other variable is different. First off, Ty, do you know what the average interest rate was in 2006? Uh, my guess is about six and a half, seven percent. It was exactly six point four one percent. Do you know what the average is today? Two point nine nine, maybe. I don't know. 2.88 when I did my research. Okay. So I have some news for you. If you take a two point eight eight percent against today's median, which is two eighty seven, and you do all the math, you basically get a payment of nine sixty. If you take 6.41 against a lower medium price, you get a payment of 1250, something like that. I'm doing all this from memory. I got the videos yeah. on my channel. Yep. Yep. Basically, you're, you're $250 more expensive 
15 years ago. But it, it gets worse than that for these idiots that are calling a crash. Do you know what the median family income was in 2006, family of four? No idea. 59 grand. Okay. Do you know what it is today? I have no 79 idea. 79 grand. More. Yeah. It's more. 20 grand more. So let me get this straight. I'm up 20 grand in income and my payment is down $250. Seems pretty safe to me. Oh, by the way, what are rents? If you're a buy and hold one rental at a time guy, the average rent of a single family home was like 960. Now it's 1400 bucks. So my payment is $200 lower. My income is 500 bucks higher and they make more money during the day. How is this a problem? And oh, by the way, credit standards, adjustable rate mortgages, all kinds of things to, to tell you that if you believe 2021 is exactly like 2006, you're an idiot. So yeah. that, was a, that was a big deal. Yeah, and, and you know, and I'll comment on that is that, you know, also being so very active and, and during that time, 2006 and, you know, the early 2000s, it was incredibly easy for people not just to get one loan for a primary resident, but people had multiple loans. Lending was so incredibly loose, whereas mm -hmm. over the last 10 years, 10 or 12 years since 2007, 2008, getting a loan today is very, very tough. Even when you're well-qualified, you have assets. I mean, it's much, much tougher to get lending. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I, I actually have stats on that. Again, these are from memories that I'll be close. Do you, want, do you know what the average credit score of a loan originated in 2006 was? Well, <laughs> 633. Okay. Do you know what the average credit score of a loan originated in 20? It was Q4 2020 was the last number I had uh, data for. Mid sevens. 786. Yeah. High sevens. Yeah. And then the last one I'll talk about is, this is the one that really did in 2006. Do you remember the pick a payment or neg am loans? Very well, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what percentage of loans originated in 06 were neg am loans? I do not know the percentage. 14.7%. Wow. So that's like one in eight. One in, yeah. yeah, one in eight. You know what percentage of neg am loans are originated today? Zero. Okay. Very low. Zero. Zero. Yeah. So I, it's just a different market. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's interesting too. We talk a lot about, um, you know, kind of pre-roll. We talk about pre-foreclosures notice the defaults, notice the trustee sales. Um, I was in, I'm involved with a group and we put a heavy focus in, not because we thought there was going to be a tsunami, but we put a heavy focus in, you know, door knocking and marketing around pre foreclosures and it just wasn't fruitful. Let's talk about the forbearances specifically in foreclosures and forbearance and the news that you dropped this week. Yeah. So the other thing is forbearance, right? So the last point of my 2006 to 21 ties right into that. And that is how banks are acting, right? In 2006, as you will know, the answer was um, strategic default. Yeah. Today, it's avoidable foreclosure. And nowhere is that more obvious than the forbearance numbers, right? So just to catch everybody up on the forbearance tsunami was supposed to create opportunities, right? Uh, the the peak of this, I believe, was 4.2 million people in forbearance. It was really frightening. I think the number of like, it was like 7% of Fannie loans or somebody was was in forbearance, right? It was really frightening a year ago. It was, it was, it was frightening. And I could see why you would invest in door knocking. However, 
right around July or August of last year, banks made it clear that they were going to do avoidable foreclosures. In, in essence, they were going to bend over backwards and not repeat 2006. But let's be clear. You and I have no faith in banks doing the right thing. We experienced it last time. We're like, yeah, 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 right, whatever. Well, now it's been almost a year. And the reality is they are bending over backwards. So no longer do we have 4.2 million people in forbearance. We're down to 1.7 and it's shrinking every month. Um, there's just so many crazy, st crazy stats that I put out on my show yesterday. Uh, do you know how many people were in forbearance that never missed a payment? No idea. Would it shock you to tell you it was 23.7%? Wow. A quarter of the people that were in forbearance never missed a payment. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it all makes sense. Yeah, so there's, there's all these stats I went through. But let's talk about the one that we all care about, right? We all saw a tsunami. We all invested in door knocking. We were doing mailers. All of these things, right? Because we, we saw pain. Yeah. All right. So what percent of people in forbearance would you guess actually did what's called a deed in lieu or a short sale? Do you have any guess of these huge, horrific numbers that are going to end up being foreclosed or short sale and be opportunities for us? Do you know what percentage ended up that after a year and a half? It's got to be terribly low. Uh, well, is 1.5% terribly low? Wow. Yeah. One point, I mean, again, do the math. 4.2 million times 1.5 is 63,000 homes. 63,000 homes does not move the needle in any market. No. It's, just, it's just not there, folks. Avoidable foreclosures are real. Banks are bending over backwards, 40-year mortgage, lower rates, you know, seconds, all of these things. It's just not going to happen. Sorry. If you were counting, if you were Ken McElroy or some of these other channels that are, I can't believe people are talking about a crash in 2021. It's the biggest crash ever. It's going to happen this year. I'm like, that's really ballsy and silly because it's, real estate doesn't move like that, right? This year's over in you know four months. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. Well, you know, that, that's interesting because I have, that kind of takes me into the next part of the questions. Is it like this week, I know earnings was a big deal. Let's mm -hmm. talk about earnings. And then I have a follow-up question about the stock market, mm -hmm. but talk about earnings real quick. Yeah, so every week on my channel, usually it's Sunday, I talk about the week ahead. And this week ahead, the big news for me was, okay, what's going to go on with earnings? We had a big percentage of the S&P 500 reporting. And I didn't care about Q2 numbers because frankly, Q2 should be peak earnings, right? It was like the best quarter ever, blah, blah, blah. But every time companies release earnings, they, they have the opportunity to talk about two things which I cared about immensely. One is, what are you thinking about the second half? Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you scared? Are you growing? What's going on? And then two, a lot of consumer companies reporting like Coca-Cola and Kimberly Clark and things like that. I'm like, okay, are you going to call out inflation? Right. Those are the two things I talked about Sunday. Now it's Friday. We can talk about what happened. Well, first and foremost, generally speaking, companies are optimistic about the second half, right? Generally speaking. So that's cool. Second, consumer products are getting squeezed by inflation. Inflation is real. Um, Coca-Cola, Kimberly Clark talked about having to raise price. The grocery store is going to get more expensive in the coming months, and it's already more expensive. Cereal and uh, ice cream, I don't know if you've noticed, but cereal boxes are smaller and ice cream is smaller, right? It's called shrinkflation. Um, airlines and credit cards are talking about people spending money on experiences, a la travel. 
right? So what we're seeing on the flip side of that is what I call the top end of the K-shaped recovery uh, in consumer products like Harley Davidson and Sleep Number numbers are coming down because people already got the motorcycle. They already got the new mattress. Now they want to go on a vacation to Hawaii or Mexico or wherever. Um, so I think what we, I think we have a pretty clear picture uh, that people are buying less high-end stuff. People are going out on experience, which again, goes to the housing slowdown, right? They're going to go on a vacation versus shopping for a home because they're burned out. Yeah. And, and inflation is much realer, much more real than um, the Fed is saying, I think that's, I mean, when you have Coca-Cola telling you that uh, the um, aluminum for the cans and glass for the bottles is more expensive, they're telling you that shipping is more expensive and they're going to have to raise the price of Coke. That, 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 that tells you something. So yeah, that's what I got from the week. I love it. And so question, I, this is a tie-in question. And I think, cause we came in so hot talking mm -hmm. about forbearances and it's not 2006. Let me ask you that with regard to the stock market, if we see a, let's call it a, a blow up in the stock market, regardless of what sector it is, um, but just in general, we see some kind of big hiccup in the stock market or disappoint or some kind of, you know, let's call it a bubble inside of the stock yeah. market that, that's often I, I hear about and talk about, I don't pay as much attention to. How would that affect the real estate market. How do you that's, see that overall? That's an interesting conversation because I've lived through and invested through at least three different, what I'll call corrections or crashes, right? So a correction is 10%, a crash is more than 20%, right? Okay. So if you look at price to variables and all these other things in the stock market, they're richly valued. And again, I have no money in the stock market. I give a rat's ass about what's in the stock market. Don't care. But historically speaking, when the stock market blows up, real estate, at least real estate investing does good. Because what happens in the stock market blows up is it falls, people overreact or they take money out and then they have to put it somewhere. Uh, so historically speaking, real estate does okay. Um, I would tell you if you live, if the stock market was like dot-com crash-ish, like very tech sector, yeah. which I'm not calling for, I'm just giving you an answer, right? If, if we had a dot-com like blow up in tech and the Silicon Valley was hit hard, all their, you know, every tech stock fell 50%. You would see Bay Area housing slow down. Owner-occupant purchases of million-dollar, fifty-year-old houses would slow down. Um, I don't think it crashes, but it, the transaction volume falls off a cliff. Because again, we got to be clear: a lot of the Valley purchases are stock money, yeah. and that would fall. That would that would fall off a cliff. Yeah, yeah, and very much so. It was interesting because in the late '90s, early 2000s the Silicon Valley was actually a soft residential market where most of the East Bay, Central Valley, Sacramento, all of that was actually outpacing in some ways in terms of appreciation. Of oh, growth. I was in, I lived here and invested in Fresno that time. Fresno was doing great. Fresno had no tech sector. So it, it was like, what? Dot com blow up? Don't care. It doesn't matter. Right. We make food. That's, how, you know, that's what we do in Fresno. But yeah, the Valley was, uh, I mean, I never saw so many for sale signs. Uh, during the dot com, everywhere it was crazy, crazy times. Well, let's move forward and talk about. There's two things: housing appreciation and then the median value. Mm. What do you see in there? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things, right? So again, as somebody who has a, an advanced degree, you, you know, one of the things we have to take is a lot of statistic classes and uh, inside statistics. There are two numbers that people get confused about all the time. One is average, and one is median, right? They use them interchangeably, and they are absolutely not the same, right? 
average home price. You add up all the home prices, that gives a number, and then you divide by the number of transactions. That number is skewed typically by very big purchases, right? The $100 million house gets added to the top and skews the number. Median, you simply list, you line up the house uh, transactions from cheapest to most expensive, and they're all basically treated equal, and you find the middle number. So the median home price today was reported at three, what do I got? I got it here, 380, no, 363. I looked it up. The average home price is 287, very different number. But what I want to talk about the median home price is we've had 112 months, 112. Dude, Ty, that's almost 10 years where the median home price has gone up year on year. That is uh, not normal. I believe we are seeing the last year of home, median home price appreciation is, is calling it fake is probably the wrong word, but it's manipulated because yeah. what we have seen is the median, again, low to high. What we've seen the last year is the low end, about 20% less transactions. The high end has seen a doubling of transactions. So you take this median and you basically shift it like a bell curve and the median artificially looks high. So for example, the median home price that was just reported yesterday is 363, but dude, that is up 23%. That is not normal. So I believe by this time next year, we could see median house price fall, but it's because this skewing of the transaction volume shifts back and we have more low end and less high end. And then, you know, all the YouTubers are going to come out of the world woodwork and say, oh my God, housing crash. And all we've done is we, you know, the average can still go up, but the median could fall and people just, people will lose their mind. But yeah, I think median house price could fall, but it's because the mix shifts. And I don't want anybody to be surprised by that fact. I love that. So insightful and looking forward too. I really appreciate that. Um, let's talk about, there's, there's a buzzword and I hear it. You've talked about it, you know, quite a bit. I'm involved in your course. I'm a student of your course. I've bought your course. Um, anything you're doing, I want to be involved in and spend as much time and <laughs> learning from you and, you and that. Um, but let's talk about the buy box. Yeah. And like I've had questions, people go, what is a buy box? What is, cause it's thrown around too. I know like hedge funds and different mm, investors yeah. of sophistication. They talk about the buy box in the simplest form. Tell us what that is. Yeah. But, but the buy box for a real estate investor, just like a hedge fund, it's really the same thing. It's permission to be focused. So basically when you have a buy box, all you look is that criteria. And what it really means is you also, not only do you only look here, but you don't look here, right? For example, if my buy box is Fresno, California, or it's a start, that means I don't look at the Inland Empire. I don't look at Sacramento. I don't look at Austin. I don't look at Cleveland. I don't look at Detroit because you get confused, right? So you, you in my course, step one, day one, is you need to define your buy box because what you have to do is you have to learn a skill. And you can't learn the skill of learning a market until you define a buy box and you get religious and daily consistency on looking at it. And by the way, I want to be clear. When you have a buy box, you should be able to go through it in 10 or 20 minutes. It shouldn't take you hours. And then get on with your day. Don't look at your buy box and then look elsewhere. You're, you're, you're creating negative leverage. You're confusing yourself. Buy box, done. Buy box, done. It's the same with hedge funds. Buy, hedge funds have buy boxes because 
they basically don't want to lose their expensive jobs, right? Uh, you got a hedge fund guy making a billion dollars or a million dollars a year or whatever it is. He doesn't want to be the idiot that goes outside the buy box and then makes a mistake and gets fired, yeah. right? They have a buy box. And that's the same thing real estate invest, especially newbie investors should do is get focused because what I've seen most newbie investors, they, they, they don't start in a good place. They're all over the map. They chase butterflies or bunnies or whatever your analogy is. And you get nowhere. You're just, you're busy, but you're not making progress. And that's, that's frustrating. So step one, day one, get a buy box, look at it for 90 days in a row and see what you learn. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's interesting because, you know, the guys that do multifamily, they get really good at being good at multifamily. The guys that are really good at single family and flipping, those guys are really good at flipping. The guys that are buying and holding single family in a certain part of town or a certain type of construction and it's a certain demographic or whatever the case may be it really the buy box is about having an expert focus and really understanding the that marketplace is that accurate michael it's dead on I and mean, it's exact i'm trying to give you permission to get focused and learn a skill and um don't fight me on it i get people all the time hey i'm going to choose las vegas or i'm going to choose you know i don't know raleigh north carolina well great that's it when you're done Go on with your day. Enjoy. Go exercise. Spend time with family. Don't look at Raleigh and then look at Nashville and then look at Cleveland. You're out, you're, you're out thinking yourself and you're creating negative leverage. It's not a good idea. And I love it. And you talk about all this on the course. So that's the thing is that for some of you that know, some of you don't know, uh, Michael has a course. It's awesome. Hmm. Now, I got to say for you, Michael, you're one of the rare people that are an absolute go-giver. There's no hmm. secrets. There's no, like, you really are completely transparent. All of the stuff you do in YouTube is incredible. I love also in the course, though, the course is very focused, and it's a step-by-step -step process. So I just want to mention that, and I want to bring it home and, and with this last question or this last topic is that now, right mm. now, why is right now the time to start? What should people be thinking about when it's starting now, or should I, yeah. or shouldn't I? Let's talk about it. So I've been doing this 20 years and I can only think of a couple of times where it was me, the buyer, me, the investors opportunity to find motivated sellers. My first five or six years, couldn't find them, right? Market rolls over, easy to find. What we are doing now is we are in a housing slowdown. I've been very clear about that. My students are telling me I'm right, but we also have all these external forces like tax changes coming. We have um, eviction moratoriums. We have all of these things which are going to cause some people to want to sell and sell in the next six months. And we have some owners coming off the sidelines that they want to sell at stupid prices. And then if they don't get it, they'll take their housing off the market. So what we are having right now is a market cycle that is changing. It's going to be very noisy. It's going to be very confusing. But my students are already telling me that they are making offers and getting properties under asking price, which we didn't for a year. And it's because we are finding the people that are truly motivated. Uh, I mean, motivated sellers are like the unicorns, right? They're hard to find, but they come in cycles. And I do think because of tax changes, this crisis we've been through, it's gonna happen in different markets. If you're in a hot market, sorry, right? If you're in Boise, sorry, um, but throughout the country, Throughout the, I have thousands of students in this course. And in the Facebook group, it's almost a thousand people. Uh, they're telling me it's happening every day. Every day, the buy box is getting more stuff. 
they're getting more excited. So now's the time to do the work, get ready, get smart, get educated, don't gamble. Um, but don't buy the, also don't buy the course if you're not going to do the work. If you're not, if, if you just want to buy the course to feel like you did something, believe me, I don't need it. Um, but if you want to buy the course, you're going to do the work, join the Facebook group. I will invest in you. I talk to you every Saturday at 9, 9 a.m. You know, I've had more and more people are adding bonus content to the course. So it's, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to help people. And more and more people are getting these cards in the mail. We're almost up to a hundred, almost up to a hundred. Yeah, I love it. and it's and we're only uh, what about fifty days in or yeah we're yeah I don't even, yeah it's probably fifty days exactly yeah exactly fifty days in yeah, so I'm glad you bought fifteen hundred cards yeah I did I bought fifteen hundred yeah I knew you guys were gonna crush it so I look forward to dyeing my hair purple but you know I, I'm gonna just throw it out there to the audience so you know like it would be okay if if we hit five hundred by the end of the year. And then Michael has to. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah. Purple hair for <laughs> yeah. the new year, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm down. I'm, I, I will die at the week we get 500. No problem. I love it. I love it. So as always, do yourself a favor. Get involved with Michael. If you're not a part of this course, get in this course. If, even again, even if you're just getting started and maybe that's not the perfect timing, follow, get involved, subscribe to his YouTube channel, get the book at one rental at a time. You can find it on Amazon. And Michael, thank you so much for all that you share and all that you do for our community. Thank you so much. You got it, brother. Take care.